Hi, I'm Andy Psarianos. Hi, I'm Robin Potter. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School Podcast. The Mass No Problem Annual Conference is back. Join us in London this November. World-renowned speakers and experts will gather to discuss math mastery in the post-pandemic world. Be part of the conversation. Visit mathsnoproblem.com for details. Welcome back to another School of School podcast. It's going to be a sparkling episode. I can feel it now. Uh, Andy, Robin, how are you both keeping? <laughs> <laughs> sparkling, exactly. Sparkling, I knew yes. it from the outset. I could just tell from seeing you both that that, that was the type of mood that you're in at the moment. Absolutely, um, electrifying. One of the things I think comes up <laughs> time and time again. We're gonna like I'm, I'm going to put this in the context of the classroom, but I think this is true for for most of us, whether it's in the role of parents working or just generally living is how do we create more time in the classroom? You know, like when I go into schools, and I'm sure this is this is true of a lot of businesses and whatnot, it's very rare you have people that say to you, do you know what? I've got so much time on my hands, I don't know what to do. I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs, and I'm just a bit lost. It seems impossible. But but the flip side is absolutely true. Uh how can we? How What's good time management? How do we create time for ourselves, and how do we create more time um, in the classrooms with our students. But like I said, I, th- I think that can be expanded out to work and perhaps life in general. I'm going to throw it open anyway. I think, uh, first off, don't over-plan. So by, by that, what I mean is don't plan too much. Like, be realistic about what you can do, right? I think that that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, don't set yourself up for failure. Like, if you're going to say, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, 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 and that, and, and this as well, then clearly by the end of the day, you're not going to have accomplished that, right? So be really, like, set yourself clear, clear expectations and goals about what you're going to achieve that day. By the end of this class, I want my kids to know this. Just be clear about that. And then be flexible about how you get there. Do some lesson planning, but just, you know, I think that's that's a big part of it. I think especially, it's not just uh, teachers, it's anybody. And it's it's even, you know, in workforce or whatever. Like, just set yourself a clear objective for that day. Say, by the end of the today, I need to have accomplished this. Or by the end of this lesson, I need to have accomplished this. But the pressure's there, right? The pressure's there. There's, there's so much stuff in the curriculum and so many things you want to say as a teacher and so many things you want to do. You set yourself up for failure. So I think that's part of it. Robin, what do you reckon? Well, it sounds easy enough when Andy's saying don't over plan. And yeah, I get that. And yet we all have a tendency probably to do it. Then does that mean we actually have to schedule in time as in making sure we have enough time to, and so I'm thinking from a teacher's perspective, maybe it's, there's nothing on the agenda. They, they have, they know what they want to accomplish by the end of the day, but maybe they have to, in some way, shape, or form, schedule this open time in to their day. Does that even make sense? Yeah, I think. You, I mean, you look. You've you've got to plan your time, right? Because there's a finite amount, so you need to know what to do. And then, if you want to create time for yourself, you got to look at efficiencies. So, I, I've I've worked with a lot of colleagues, and and the planning's one of them, right? And there's great swathes. There's these huge folders full of you know very elaborate planning. But in terms of how much of that planning will help you in the classroom there might be some of it that's not as 
pertinent to what you're looking at because you've you've gone above and beyond or you've gone over or the flip side of that is is that I think that as a teacher you're not just planning for the students but yourself right so it 20 years of teaching I should have far more experience than when I was an NQT so I think that one of the one of the traps that that I know I don't know an NQT that hasn't fallen into it myself included is you try to be awesome at everything Right, and it's impossible. It's it's too difficult. We, you know, I don't think there's many professions where you expect if you started out as an apprentice baker or or something like that, that you can bake anything to Michelin star standards. You know, and so I think that that it's also prioritizing. Right, today this is what I'm going to get right. This is one aspect of my teaching that I'm going to get right, and I'll be aware of these other things. But this is what I'm going to try to focus on. Make it a habit, so I don't need to think about it anymore. And then I can, you know, start to look at something else and prioritise that in terms of the impact on children's learning and your own expertise and those things. But I think I think that point that, that Andy made, I was um doing a bit of training this morning and I couldn't stress that enough, is be absolutely crystal clear on what's being learned. Because if we just said, I don't know, we're going to learn to count today. <laughs> okay, good, wonderful. To what? To where? In what? You know, like it's so wide that, that if you're not clear about that, when you find yourself in the thick of a classroom lesson and you're going, oh, flipping heck, should I be counting, you know, is it backwards and twos, fives, using quarters? What's going on here? We need to be really clear and that's what you need to achieve. And I think that that does free up that time because once you've achieved it, you can look at it in more depth. You know, you don't have to think about something else or you don't, you know, because that's all that needs to be achieved. And I think sometimes when I say something like that aloud, it sounds like, oh, we're shortchanging the children, you know, but but no, it, it's absolutely being crystal clear and being planned for that. And, and, and obviously there's other things that can happen, but I, th- I think that that point of being really clear on what, your ch- what you want your children to learn in that, in, in that time, that's, that's crucial to managing the time in the class. I also think if you work in a school or an environment where, you know, you're kind of not really supported properly by either the administration or some of the purchasing decisions that they've made, so that you don't have the tools that you need, you don't have, uh, let's say, the content or the scheme of work worked out already for you, uh, and the teacher is expected to do all these things and plan all of this, that's just too much. And then if you're in a situation like that, that's, that's not a healthy environment and it's not conducive to success, right? Because, you know, the teachers probably don't have the expertise, so it will, if they do get there, it will take them a tremendous amount of time to get there. And they may ne- never get there. They may just not be able to do it, right? So if you've got, if you're setting up, if, as a school administration, if you're setting up your teachers that way, you're effectively largely setting them up for failure, right? So, you know, you got to, it's got, you got to be working in a supportive environment where you're getting the tools and you're getting the materials that you need to be successful in your job. Um, that's a big part of it for sure. But, you know, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. I don't know, teachers, like, I think there's this myth, we expect everyone to be superhuman, right? You've got to be able to do this, 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 exactly what you're saying. I mean, you've got to be great at this, 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 you've got to be great at this. Hey, hold on a second. Nobody, nobody can do that, right? So, where's the, what's the what's the responsibility of the administration? I mean, I touched on a few points, but what's the responsibility of the administration? To make sure that teachers have the time to do 
what they need to do. And what is it that they need to do? What is it they shouldn't be doing with their time? I think in response to that, I mean, like you're talking about the materials, you know, like if the planning's done for you, one of the most, what I can never get my head around is when people just repeat the planning so it's on a piece of paper to hand to someone else or something like that for sort of accountability to say, yes, I'm planning. Well, if, you, if you're not planning your lessons and you're just not going to, it's not about handing them in. It, it, you know, you shouldn't be in the profession, right? You need to know what you're doing when you're, when you're working with children. So let's assume that when you're going into a lesson, you are undertaking planning that you need to be effective to support their learning. But I think one of the other things that, that, that I've seen happen, and I think this can happen really easily, is that people kind of operate in a silo, you know, like they're in their classroom and they sort of look out the door and everyone else has seemingly got it sorted. You know, they're having a chat at 4.30, you know, and, and you're still busy planning till late that night and those sorts of things. And I think that one of the things that I, I know I found really difficult as an NQT and having worked with a lot of uh, NQT, newly qualified teacher, by the way, um, and working with a lot of trainees is the help that you need to prioritise. And I think that that's, that's a really difficult thing to, to gauge. And I think that the more you stay in your classroom, it sort of almost equates to I just need to do more and plan more in order to do this. Whereas you might look at it and say, all right, some of these things are, are, you know, will lead to, you, you're right, in your classroom, these things might be great. You, know, you might need to do this or do that or do something else. Asking your colleagues you know, how often do colleagues, we often talk to each other and say, you know, how are you, Robin? How are you, Andy? How's your day today? You going all right? Those kids behaving? Yeah, they're great. Oh, cool. How's everything going? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks. But you might not be really specific. Like the first five minutes when they walk in the classroom, what can I do to ensure that they settle really quickly? Do, do, do any of you have any idea? You know, and that, those sorts of really specific questions that just say, because that's when I start to lose them, then I panic, then da 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 and, and all those knock-on effects that can take place. I, I think it's, yeah, using your colleagues. Yeah, and I th- that's a really great point you've just made because I can certainly see it from a new teacher's perspective where they probably are over planning, if anything, you know, because they, they want to make sure they cover the material and that they've got enough material and, you know, da 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 da. But at the same time, then you, and you touched on this, but you've got, you know, teachers who have been teaching for years and they've got their whole, they've figured out the lesson plan. They, you know, they've got their routine as well. That doesn't necessarily mean they're using their time effectively either. They sure. just, they found their right comfort zone. And what they've done for 20 years. That's exactly <laughs> That's it. Thing. Yeah. So having those conversations and, you know, in particular, maybe having those conversations with new teachers, with more experienced teachers and, and having them have a discussion may turn some light bulbs on for both of them, you know, to say, oh, yeah, gee, I, I'd forgotten all about that. It, you know, I, yeah, I could, I could tweak my class so that this would give me more time you know, with the students. And, uh, and then the new teacher's thinking, yeah, okay, I realize I don't have to do all of this in order to be effective in the classroom, you know, and that would free up some time. So, yeah, I think that's a, an excellent point you made, Adam. I think, I think the other thing that uh, there's a couple of people that have had a massive influence on my teaching, uh, one of them, Peter Sinclair. Um, if you're listening, Peter, I hope you're well. Thank you for all of your input. Um, but, but 
what Peter used to say in terms of behavior, because the, the reality is that in a lot of classrooms, some of the biggest time losses is due to behavior, mm-hmm. right? Because we're dealing with stuff and then we, we're kind of, we, we've dealt with it for five or 10 minutes. And, and, and it's a very simple thing, but it, it's actually quite difficult to do. Often we just deal with the behavior, right? And we deal with the, the, the end result. I know someone's just thrown a ruler across the classroom, so that's what we're dealing with. But Peter was used to say, you know, go all the way back to the beginning. You know, at what point did the idea of throwing the ruler come in? And then why did the idea of the ruler being thrown come in? And what happened before then? And da, 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 and try to get to that origin and think, where can this, you know, why did that go wrong? And I think I've used this example on, on previous podcasts where I said that there was someone who put the hardest question up on the board. The children came in. They were meant to just start on the questions by themselves, well-versed in that. But the hardest question was at the top. So immediately the children disengaged. Then there was behavioural problems. The teacher had to spend the next 10 minutes trying to calm the class down and getting them to think, no, we can do this maths. Da, 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 da. Whereas actually, if the, the, the third question, which was the simplest question, was at the top, everyone's gotten in. And that's where the behaviour started. But if you didn't think about that, you'd probably just be saying, oh, it's Robin again. She's always kicking off at the beginning of maths lessons. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but actually, Robin might be really nervous about the maths and looked at it and thought, I can't do that. Man, I'm not having a... No, I'm not going to look stupid. I'm going to talk to my mates. You've lost me. So I think it's those sorts of things too that... that the, the second point, and then I will be quiet. The other thing that I've used that I found massively helpful, but you do have to really uh or be ready for it is video yourself teaching it's one of the most effective cheapest tools that you can ever do and obviously it's brutally honest it's horrible yeah. it's like you know no one has answer phones these days but if you listen to yourself on voicemail you just go i don't sound like that <laughs> no but but i think that's another thing that that it is amazing what you pick up when you watch yourself teaching and and how skewed your timing is you know, if you were asked to write down what did I do in this hour lesson and give me the timings for each of it, I can almost guarantee that when you look at it back on video, you'd be like, hey, did I really? You know, did I talk for 15 minutes? I thought it was five. Yeah, you lost the kids at 10. So yeah, that's saying something. Now we've got a problem. You, you know, it's those sorts of things I think too can be really helpful, but yeah, it's brutal. And also, um, watching others teach is huge because you will see things, for sure you'll pick up tricks, Right? and say, see how they manage particular situations and say, oh yeah, I never thought of that, I could use that. But there's also uh, the insights that you get by watching someone else. You go, ah, oh, why did you interrupt them there? They were almost there. And you just, you know, and I think that that's one of the things that uh, teachers are often not aware um, because it's just way too much going on in the classroom at any given point they're not necessarily really aware of what, what's actually going on. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but, but it's not. It's, it's because you become almost obsessed with your own performance, right? That, that leading a classroom is like acting a play in some, some ways, and, uh, but more like improv. And you, you, you kind of, you're, you start becoming a, a little too conscious about your own performance and your own ideas about how the lesson should go, and you start interfering with what is an, maybe a natural process, and it creates turbulence in the class, which might be good in some instances, but it, but it can throw off what's actually happening. And sometimes it's like, you know, th- there's this saying 
which has mystified me. It's not really mystified me, but there's so many interpretations to it. It's like teach less, learn more, right? Stop making the classroom your stage for your performance and spend more time observing and watching and injecting yourself where you're needed as opposed to trying to orchestrate the whole environment because you might find that you'll be able to, you know, it's, but that goes back to setting your expectations for the day. So know what it is that you need to achieve. If you've got an hour, know what it is that you need to achieve in that hour, set it off in motion and then step back and observe. And, and when you need to intervene, intervene, but just be mindful of why you're intervening. Like if the kids are not going exactly the way you want them to, that might be okay as well, right? And you can let it go. Just jumping on the back of that, Andy, but, but what that takes is something you mentioned earlier. That's up to school leaders to make it happen, right? Because the reality is, is that for two teachers to be in one classroom, yes, it can be organised around, you know, release time from classroom, those sorts of things. But the effectiveness of it and, and the, 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 the value it can give teachers, I think, is huge. I think the other thing, just off the back of that, is to watch someone else teach your class. Mm. Mm. You know, because of exactly what you said, when you're teaching and you've got your class, your lens is totally different. You know, but if you're watching someone else teach, you're starting to listen to the conversations your children are having in a totally different way. You're starting to observe behaviours to see, oh yeah, that person's just doing this and this is where, oh yeah, okay, so I could, just like you said, let them go for longer. Or I didn't need to do this. Or actually, you know, this reassures me that I can do this, this and this. That takes the, that takes the thinking of, of good school leaders in order to make that happen. And a lot of experience, like you can't, it takes a long time to get there. That's the, the thing too, right? Is, is that, you know, like you say, newly qualified teachers need more support with that kind of stuff than someone who's been teaching for a long time who will already have come to that Zen moment where they can kind of release themselves from, you know, the their, their inner voice. It's the inner voice that gets you, right? It's that, what's my next step? What, what should I be doing? What am I not doing right? Where have I gone wrong in this lesson? You know, it's all that internal dialogue in your head that you need to be able to shut it up and actually observe what's going on. And, and a lot of it has to do, I think, with belief in yourself, right? Self-confidence and self-awareness and all these things, videotaping your class, watching other teachers, watching your students when they're being taught by someone else brings you that level of sort of Zen, Dharma, self-awareness that you need in order to really kind of take the pressure off yourself and just become the orchestrator, but not not the, the lead role. The children are in the lead role, right? You're just, you know, you're the guy who puts the curtain up and down and turns on the lights. You're, you know, you're the lighting director or the curtain, depending on what it is. But, you know, and, and it's making it about their, their progression. But when you, if you can get to that level, then what you realize is that your planning doesn't need to be so intricate, but it's just maybe three or four questions. What are they going to learn? How am I going to know when they're there? What, what's, the, what's the telltale sign that they got it? Like, at what stage can I say, okay, I don't need to teach this anymore? Because now they know it. Now I just let, need to let them practice it. What, what's the indication? What does that look like? If you don't know that going into the class, then all you're going to think is, in order for the kids to learn, I need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It doesn't work that way. Isn't that learning so messy, right? So all you got to say is, okay, at this point, like this group here, they know what's happening. They can just keep doing what they're doing. I don't need to. If, if I even talk to them, I'm just interfering with their thought processes. These guys here... 
yeah, they don't have the building blocks that they need to do this. I need to go and intervene now and, and just simplify the question for them to get them where to, to where I need them to be, right? But, but it's like teacher as a reflective observer is kind of where you need to get to. And I think if you can get there, then you'll find the time, the time starts showing up. But that's like a Zen thing. That's, that's like you need to go meditate on a Himalayan mountain for a while to get there, right? It's... <laughs> but, but it is, it is. Go on, Robin. You no, go. just I was going to say, even a confidence thing, too. You know, you have to be confident that you can let, let the students lead. Yeah, the confidence comes from, again, this comes from the school administration. Like, that's what you should be aiming to make your teachers become you know, as a school administrator. And that means, like, don't, don't make them waste their time trying to make up lessons where they're not really sure if they're any good or not, or they're scouring the internet to find a bunch of worksheets to, to fill in the time because they just, you know, like don't, don't let that, don't let your school descend to that level, right? Like, why don't you just give them the, why don't you just give them the good stuff? Just go and figure out what the good stuff looks like. Go get it and give it to them and say, this is, this is the good stuff. It doesn't need to be the best and you know, it's better if it's the best, but give them something. And then let them do all the other hard bits. Well, don't waste their time scouring the internet looking for stuff. God, the amount of time teachers spend waste creating their own lessons and f- trying to find stuff. It's unbelievable. My last little top tip, if, you, if you're new to the profession, is you're going to reach a stage where you get, it comes back to, to what we've been talking about, what Andy was talking about just, it's just a moment ago, decision making. You know, and I and I think that some of the longest lessons you ever teach is when it starts to go wrong at minute one. And I it wasn't that long ago I had one of those and I was paid to go into a school to model a lesson with I don't know how many teachers watching. So, you know. And I said, Oh, for this lesson we need the, the cubes, the, the interlocking cubes, you know, that's a really important part of it. And within the first five minutes, it was obvious that these interlocking cubes, they're brand new, out of the packet, the children never seen them. And I had to make a decision at that point that they were going to play with the cubes for a good five, ten minutes. You know, and that was the brave decision, because what I think was being expected is that at the beginning of this lesson, you know, I should have just charged on regardless. Right, make three, make three. They're busy making guns. They're busy making constructions because it's the first time they've ever had their hands on these things. And I think it's those sorts of things that, that also, not just buy your time, but it's the perception of time, you know, because some of those lessons can feel real long. <laughs> it's not gone right. But sometimes making those decisions that make, you know, just that, that whole soldier on regardless, sometimes you just have to go, mm, yeah, something's kind of gone wrong here. Let's just, let's take stock for a moment. But rest assured, you, you, you know, you do get there. Well, <laughs> you try to get there. Good tips. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the School of School podcast.